Saint Joan of Arc once said, act and God will act. Welcome to the 59th episode of St. Dymphna's Playbook, the SDP, if you want to be cool, a production of the Grexley Podcast Network. My name is Tommy. I'm a cradle Catholic, a marriage and family therapist, a husband and father of five boys, four on earth and one in heaven. Love you, Luke. And I'm here to fill the void of Catholic conversations about mental health because we need to realize that we aren't going to be able to fix everyone's problems. But if we're willing to act in the smallest of ways to show support to a company in that dark valley, God will do the rest. We like to kick it off around here with a quick refresh of our notifications. It's time for St. Dymphna's Mentions. First up, mental health news from the 2021 New York City mayor's race has popped up and warrants a little discussion. From the New York Post, City Council Speaker Corey Johnson said he's relieved by his decision to drop his mayoral bid to focus on his mental health and heartened that a public airing of his battle with depression has helped fellow New Yorkers who are also struggling with the illness. Corey shared, What's been really moving to me is I've heard from literally hundreds of New Yorkers I've never met saying that they too have been going through a hard time and that it was meaningful to have someone who lives a public life speak openly about what they've been going through and be able to share how challenging these times have been. I hope that New Yorkers who are watching this morning, if you're struggling, get the help and support that you need. He disclosed that he's seeing a therapist on a weekly basis and taking medication for his depression. And I just wanted to underscore how important this discussion started by Mr. Johnson has been. It really shows how powerful being vulnerable and sharing our mental and emotional health journeys can be. And I think it represents a template for how we can improve our church and our communities and make them more welcoming to those of us who are suffering. By sharing our stories, we not only transform our pain by opening up opportunities to walk alongside others, but we also see that we are not alone. There are people right there in the pews next to us suffering just like us. And once we see that, once we see that we all walk through the same dark valley, beautiful things can happen. We can finally start to develop the community that helps create wellness, recovery, and holiness together. On to the next topic. The way that school has changed during the COVID pandemic is something we talk about all the time. The difficulties people are having with distance learning, the lack of socializing for our children, etc. But one thing we don't talk about all that much is how being away from the campus has led to a lot of kids losing access to consistent mental health treatment, especially for kids who are doing distance learning in college and live out of state. A story at Refinery29 tells us this withdrawal of access to mental health care for college and university students couldn't come at a worse time. Even before the pandemic, mental health for young adults is a key issue to really navigating this transition from childhood to adulthood. Prior to the pandemic, mental health issues were on the rise for young adults. Now, students may be feeling isolated and may have lost their sense of community because they're unable to connect with their classmates or their peers in a way that they're used to. And as a result, college students are more vulnerable now than ever. The inability to provide care for out-of-state and out-of-country students is a problem that lies in the licensing and legal requirements of healthcare providers like psychiatrists and therapists who get licensed in a particular state with a few exceptions. They're generally unable to practice outside of that state. Throughout this pandemic, young adults have reported elevated levels of anxiety, depression, and mental health symptoms, according to the Center for Disease Control and Prevention report, showing that right now, students need more mental health care 
not less. So I don't want to spend too much time looking into the laws and policies that make it difficult for mental health workers to practice telehealth across state lines, but rather to use this story as another jumping off point to encourage us all to intentionally create families, parishes, and communities that openly talk about mental health, support those of us who are struggling, and encourage access to appropriate mental health treatment at the local level whenever it might be needed. It's truly a sad situation where these students are facing being disconnected with their primary providers for mental health treatment, but I think it would be a lot easier if we had the kinds of communities that took care of those suffering from mental and, emo and emotional symptoms that made it difficult for them to function. If we more routinely had those difficult conversations that show that we're all here for each other no matter what, and always had a position that was in favor of seeking mental health care whenever one feels like they may need it. It would help these students feel supported during this difficult time and do so much to fight back against the toxic stigma festering in our world today. So each episode, I'm going to introduce you to a saint who can help us along our journey with mental health and wellness as Catholics. It's called Friend Request, and today we have special guest Catherine Addington to introduce us all to St. Raphael Arnaiz. <laughs> In 1911, in Burgos, Spain, St. Rafael Arnaiz was the oldest son of a devout Catholic family. When he decided to quit architecture school to become a Trappist monk at the age of 22, he expected the difficulties of an austere monastic life. But what he didn't expect was for that vocation to fall out from underneath him. Just a few months into his novitiate, diabetes brought Rafael to death's door. He had to leave the monastery to get medical treatment, and he had no idea if he'd be able to come back. As he slowly realized that his illness was chronic, something he'd have to deal with for the rest of his life, Rafael fell into a deep depression. After all, why would God call him to a way of life that he didn't have the physical strength to live out? Rafael ended up re-entering the monastery as an oblate, which is a member who doesn't take vows. He lived in the infirmary, separate from the monks, and observed a modified schedule. To be sure, it was humiliating for him to accept this lesser status, but it was even harder for him to be isolated from the rest of the community. Slowly, through perseverance and prayer, Raphael came to understand what God was doing with his vocation. He once wrote, My vocation was from God and is of God, but it needed to be purified. Its rough edges needed smoothing. I gave myself to the Lord generously, but I still wasn't giving him everything. I gave him my body, my soul, my career, my family, but I still held on to one thing, my dreams and desires, my hopes of being a Trappist and making my vows and singing the mass. That kept me going at the monastery, but God wants more. He always wants more. I needed to be transformed. He wanted his love alone to be enough for me. St. Raphael died in 1938 at the age of 27, and he was canonized in 2009. St. Raphael Arnaiz, through your struggles with chronic illness, depression, and vocational confusion, you show us that the love of God is enough to get us through everything. You were willing to be patient with God and let him show you what he had in store for your life 
And you were also willing to ask your community for the help and support you needed to fulfill your vocation. Through your intercession, help us to imitate your vulnerability and perseverance, and above all, your love for the cross of Christ. Amen. Thank you, Catherine. And now you can't do therapy over Twitter, but I'm happy to take your tweets and help you explore a bit in the hopes of finding a light in the darkness. It's time for Twitter therapy. Nick gets us started. I was wondering if your show has done any episodes on ADHD and how it impacts Catholics and how they pray, and if not, if you'd be willing to. I can't find any content besides the stuff I use in RCIA personal ministering. I ask this as a lay minister who might have ADHD but is unsure because it's nearly impossible to get tested as an adult. Thanks for sending this one in, and let's all pray for everyone working hard to live their lives amidst the symptoms of ADHD, especially when it comes to trying to find a way to maintain one's spirituality and prayer life. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. We always like to start off with definitions around here, especially with a diagnosis like ADHD, which is so commonly used to describe things that aren't ADHD. So let's head on over to the DSM-5, the Mental Health Diagnostic Bible, if you will. People with ADHD show a persistent pattern of inattention and or hyperactivity slash impulsivity that interferes with functioning or development. So one, this would be inattention. You need five or more of these symptoms to be present for adults, uh, and the symptoms have to have lasted for at least the last six months. Here we go. Often fails to give close attention to detail or makes careless mistakes in schoolwork, work, or other activities. Often has trouble holding attention on tasks or play activities. Often does not seem to listen when spoken to directly often does not follow through on instructions and fails to finish schoolwork, chores, duties in the workplace, like losing focus, getting sidetracked, often has trouble organizing tasks and activities, often avoids dislikes or is reluctant to do tasks that require mental effort over a long period of time, such as homework, right? Often loses things necessary for tasks and activities like school materials, pencils, books, tools, wallets, keys, paperwork, eyeglasses, things like that, often easily distracted and often forgetful in daily activities. Next is hyperactivity and impulsivity. It's the next category here. And five or more of these symptoms are also needed and also need to have been present for the last six months. And these symptoms have to be disruptive for an individual's functioning. Okay, so hyperactivity and impulsivity. Here we go. Often fidgets with or taps hands, feet, or squirms in seat. Often leaves seat in situations where remaining seated is expected. Often runs about or climbs in situations where it is not appropriate. Adolescents or adults may be limited to feeling restless, often unable to play or take part in leisure activities quietly, often on the go, acting as if driven by a motor, often talks excessively, often blurts out an answer before a question has been completed, often has trouble waiting their turn, often interrupts or intrudes on others like um, butting into conversations or games. In addition, these following conditions must be met. Several inattentive or hyperactive impulsive symptoms were present before the age of 12. Several symptoms uh, are present in two or more settings, so like work, home, school, with friends, with relatives, at sports, things like that. 
and there are there's clear evidence that the symptoms interfere with or reduce the quality of social, school, or work functioning. Last little bit, real quick, I promise. Based on the types of symptoms, three kinds of ADHD can occur predominantly inattentive, predominantly hyperactive impulsive, right, based on the symptoms list that I gave, or combined, the mixture between the two. And before I go on, I do want to say, if you hear these things and you think, oh my gosh, I have ADHD, of course, you need to go get checked out by somebody who can really do some testing for you, because uh, if you look through the DSM-5 at all the different diagnoses, all of us have a tendency to think that they all fit, kind of like a horoscope. So uh, it is helpful to hear these definitions, because it can give you sort of a, a guideline for what you're looking at, but you should always go talk to a therapist or a psychologist in the case of getting tested uh, or a doctor to be able to sort of know uh, if you really fit into those boxes. Back to your question. So if we think about these symptoms that we just went through, there's no doubt that ADHD would have a huge impact in our ability to sit down and focus on prayer. In addition to reaching out for help, testing, and possible treatment if appropriate, some tips for prayer in the midst of these symptoms would include closing one's eyes during prayer to reduce the stimuli that might lead to distraction. Praying the rosary, a prayer that uses both rote memorization and meditation on a mystery, and perhaps using the uh, the old trick with the Bible verses for each Hail Mary. It's a method that could really help here. And also checking out Lectio Divina to see if it works for you. I read an article at chadd.org where a Catholic with ADHD shared how their brain actually seemed more suited to Lectio Divina, to letting their mind wander in contemplation of that one phrase or word and allowing the spirit to take them wherever it wanted without judgment. Uh, For them, they found that to be the most effective means of Catholic spirituality uh, with the way that their brain functioned. And perhaps they might be right. Perhaps that's a great way to get started. So go with our prayers. Tally is up next. How do I cope with feeling guilty about my mental illness? It's something I dealt with as a teen after being diagnosed with depression. As an adult, I still have moments where I feel bad about being depressed, guilty as in feeling like being a burden uh, to loved ones, or as if I'm not allowed to be depressed because I have a really good life. Both are total lies, but they're still hard to deal with sometimes. So let's all join together in prayer for Tali and all of us who feel guilty because of our mental health symptoms that we may feel the peace of Christ in our hearts this very day. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. Thank you so much for sending this in, Tally. I think it's a shared experience we've all gone through. And I know I still feel tremendously guilty for my experience of grief after the death of our son and how I let that grief impact my ability to be a parent to my other children. I was distracted, sad, lacking motivation and joy and energy. And I look back and I feel bad that I wasn't the perfect parent that my kids needed. But I think there's two important things for us to think about uh, that might help ease our guilt here. The first is this. This is so important and such an important reminder for all of us coping with mental health symptoms. The behaviors that we often feel most guilty about, like being a burden, not being motivated enough, not having energy, etc. These are experiences that are directly caused by the depression that we're going through. If we weren't feeling depressed, we most definitely wouldn't have those behaviors or experiences. If we could choose differently, choose to be happy, choose to be full of energy, full of motivation, if it was as simple as making a choice, we would obviously choose to be well, 
right? So this goes along with the other thing you mentioned, feeling as if I'm not allowed to be depressed because I really have a good life. This second thing is so important for everyone to hear. Depression, anxiety, and other mental health experiences can happen to us and be a part of our life no matter how great our lives are. This underscores the fact that mental health symptoms are often caused by a biological issue that requires treatment and are not always a result of something bad happening in our lives. This is very important important to remember and it's a question I often ask people um, who are who come to me who have depression if everything in your life was going great if you had a job a house good income great loving family would you still feel depressed and it might shock people to know that most of us when faced with this question we answer yes so Here's some practical advice to address the guilt around feeling depressed from psychcentral.com that I think I'll end with. Number one, move your body. Getting physical will lower cortisol, increase endorphin flow, and awaken your senses. It also helps people with depression to think more clearly and feel better overall. Number two, shift your thoughts. Feelings of guilt can set a depressed individual into a cycle of negative thinking, each thought worsening into a deeper, more hopeless form of thinking. That's why working on your thoughts is key. Try revising negative thoughts into positive thoughts or using positive imagery. Number three, remember, guilty thoughts are not facts. Remind yourself that guilt is just a voice. Try saying, oh, there's the guilt again, and put some distance between yourself and the guilt. Please, please know that we're all praying for you. Anonymous wraps us up. I have found that seeking pastoral care for my serious depression and anxiety from priests tend to provoke the same kind of fear of interacting with me, leading the priests to act way more reserved toward me than toward others. In parishes where I hide my mental illnesses, however, or before I expose them, I get treated the same as others and get the full range of pastoral support, but not for what I actually need it for. My question is, is there a sustainable, healthy way to be a long-term member of a parish without hiding my illnesses forever, which is exhausting and defeats the purpose of church. Is there a way I can approach uh, priests for pastoral support without them freaking out or being mean? Let's all stop what we're doing and pray for Anonymous and everyone who feels like they have to hide their mental health symptoms from those at their parish and for our parishes that they may become welcoming, accepting, and supportive environments for all. Remember, O most gracious Virgin Mary, that never was it known that anyone who fled to thy protection, implored thy help, or sought thine intercession was left unaided. Inspired by this confidence, I fly unto thee, O Virgin of virgins, my mother. To thee do I come, before thee I stand, sinful and sorrowful. O Mother of the Word incarnate, despise not my petitions, but in thy mercy hear and answer me. Amen. First, I'd like to say what a great witness you are for so many of us out here, recognizing that you need help, reaching out for it, and at the same time wanting to find a way to share your experience with others without being made to feel like an other. So thank you for the blessing that you are. With all due respect to our wonderful priests, I have to say that I think the first step I would take here is to reach out to help from a mental health professional. This should have been the priest's first piece of, of pastoral advice to you. If you were coming to him looking for help with depression and anxiety, and if he would have been prepared to connect you with the appropriate services or explain how you could go about reaching out for that help, he would have no reason to be scared or to treat you differently, but rather he could feel at peace for pointing you in the right direction. 
I wish that we had a church and a community where you didn't feel like you had to hide your mental health symptoms from others, but I recognize that we all do this to some extent, and that's clear evidence of the stigma that still exists and that we need to fight to rip out. But in terms of your direct question, is there a sustainable, healthy way at all to be a long-term member of a parish without hiding my illness forever? My thought would be to seek out mental health care from a mental health professional outside of the parish setting. Work with that helping professional to find ways of being open and honest and vulnerable with those in the parish that you can trust. And also being comfortable with not having to share everything about yourself all the time. Both of those things can be true at the same time. And hopefully the therapist that you find can help you find that balance and finally feel like you can thrive in your parish while also being your authentic self with others. God bless. All right, everyone, that's it for today's episode. Remember, you can email, DM, or tweet your questions and situations. If you'd like me to address them in the future, I'd be happy to keep you anonymous or not, whatever you want. Be sure to check out patreon.com slash grexley to see all the great things they've got going on over there and support the cause. And until next time, go easy on yourselves. Take care of yourselves. And if you feel like you're in a place where you can't even bring yourself to pray, don't worry. I'll be praying for you. And so will St. Dymphna.